God's word says this. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. It's Thanksgiving Sunday and so we want to make sure that our hearts first and foremost are directed towards uh, having uh, hearts of thanksgiving toward God and I'm thankful that the prayer time took us in that direction this morning. We have so much to be thankful for. Just the mere fact that you can be here with us this morning and we together can be the church of Jesus Christ testifying to how good God has been in our lives and to the world around us that God is the one who would desire to save people if they would trust in him. So happy Thanksgiving to all of you. And may you have a good weekend of remembering God's bounty to you. And not eating too much pumpkin, I hope. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and if you do not have your own Bible, the Pew Bible will be on page 832. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. This is the passage that I would like to look at with you this morning. As you might notice, we don't have any technology, so I'm going to have to do it the old-fashioned way, which is to describe things for you and point out things to you and repeat things so you don't forget them, um, as you would have done in the olden days before things like uh, projectors, um, sadly. Let's stand to read Philippians chapter 4 together. Let's stand. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we come to you as those who want to learn how to pray most effectively. We want to be those, Lord, who have trust in you, those who have peace regarding the challenges we face in our life, even the heaviest and most difficult of challenges. And so, Lord, we pray that you would come this morning on this day of thanksgiving and give us some more of the tools that we need. Guide us, we pray. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done. And may the words of my mouth, meditation of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Now, either you were in a different country or you're too young to remember a song uh, that was popular in the early 1980s. It was called Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin. With its snappy lyrics and fake Caribbean accent and heavy emphasis on the title idea, it was 
a funny and not overly serious little ditty. In our day, we have a song by a man named Pharaoh called Happy, and it's kind of like that, only happy, the lyrics are really weird. I read them, and they're strange. The first verse made the comment in, don't worry, be happy. In every life, we have some trouble. When you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. Despite the nearly whistle-like ooze of the chorus, it never told us how not to worry. Just don't worry. Be happy. Now, this is where the lack of technology is going to cause me some problems. So just follow along with me, if you would. Sharon and I lived in Edson, Alberta in the late 1980s, and we were invited to a celebration of a friend of ours who were having a milestone anniversary. Some of the men in our church wanted to make it a special occasion by doing a special skit for the anniversary couple. They were going to do belly whistling. Anybody know what belly whistling is? Do you want to admit that you might know it? No. What they did was this. They, out of cardboard, they constructed a huge top hat and put it on their arms and their head, and it came down to about here. Okay, big top hat covering their face. They took off their shirts and put on like clothing from their waist down, like jackets or whatever. The middle, this is for men only, don't worry, ladies, okay, for men only, they had their bellies and their chests showing. This is a thing you might do at camp, but these were adult men doing this. And you would draw circles to indicate where the eyes would be, you would draw a nose and you would draw a mouth around the belly button, the, the navel. Now, in most of the pictures that I have seen of belly whistlers, I would do something this silly when I was young, but I would never do this now. Never in a million years. Yeah, right, sure. Anyway, um, they use magic markers to point out where the eyes were, where the nose was, and where... The mouth was for the whistling. But these three friends decided they wanted to go a little bit more classy. And they wanted to use ping pong balls cut in half with a little dot marked on the, on the front of it. So they'd take the ping pong ball and they would glue it with glue to their chest instead of the circles indicate where the eyes were. Now two of the men decided that they would use ordinary glue, and the ordinary glue seemed to work for them. I remember I told you this was Edson, Alberta. These guys were working in the oil fields. They were, they were really strange people. One of the guys thought, this glue's not working for me. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a better glue from a hot glue gun. And I'm going to put the ping pong balls on my chest with a hot glue gun. Now, the guy who did this, this wasn't his first time. He once glued a mustache to his lip using a hot glue gun. We thought he would have learned that time. But no, he did not. So, he's applying these ping pong balls to his chest and as you hear him doing it, you can hear his screams from hundreds of feet away just before the routine was about to happen, he got these ping pong balls attached to his chest. 
and his yelp of pain was quite something. Now, can you imagine this man wriggling and writhing in pain, the blisters on his chest growing, coming out pretending to sing, don't worry, be happy. One of the most uncomfortable things one could possibly do to oneself and could not be remedied until the skit was over. And no, he did not go to see a psychologist afterwards, but I cannot imagine anybody doing something quite this crazy unless it was done in a place like Edson, Alberta. I wonder if our friend, and if it was one of my dear friends who did this, thought about the main idea of the song. I doubt he thought about that main idea. It was probably just, get this done, this hurts like crazy. Uh, for the record, the skit was very, very, very funny. Very funny. And I can see you're all laughing uproariously at this whole thing. Very good. That's good. In the last few weeks, we have begun a series on prayer entitled Ask, where we have begun to set out what prayer is about, what prayer is, and why we pray. Last week, Pastor West led us through parts of James chapter 1 and chapter 5, seeing that prayer needs to have faith in God as its defining characteristic, and that faithful prayer had a context, usually trial and suffering. This is especially true when it seems that God had not come through as we desired him to when we pray. This morning, we're going to use Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. We'll expand on this concept some with some things that Scripture teaches us about prayer. Now, my prayer is that unlike McFerrin's song, we will have some explanation of how one can, in effect, be happy and not worry. That's what the passage is calling for. I have several points I want to share with you based on this passage. As we begin to unpack this passage, I want you to find uh, some important things here. So if you've closed your Bibles, turn again to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, or as I said before, uh, in the Brown Pew Bible on page 832. 832. So here again, is what Philippians chapter 4 says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the book of Philippians, the whole of it, is based on the idea of being joyful. Joyful in the most contradictory circumstances. Paul is in prison and his concern for his brethren in this great European city is that they, like him, despite being in prison, despite his chains, as he says in the last part of chapter 1, he, they, like him, have a life of joy. Chapter 3, verse 1, directly calls upon the believers to rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard to you. I've been calling on you to be joyful, and I want to protect you by seeing a life of joy coming out of you. He also seems to believe that repetition of this call is a way to protect his friends in the faith. So we come now to chapter 4. 
chapter 4, when it starts, verse number 1, we see that all is not rosy in the Philippian church. Uh, Euodia and Syntyche are not getting along. They are two leaders in the church, two female leaders, and they are bickering and fighting and not doing so well. And so Paul makes a request for someone to do something about this quarrel. And then we come down to chapter 4, verse 4. You've heard him talk about joy. You've heard him talk about this issue in the church in Philippi, these two ladies coming to loggerheads. And then he launches his call once again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Paul is thinking, I'm in prison. We're separated by many miles. Two of our key ladies are quarreling. You have issues to deal with, but I call upon you to rejoice. What in the world are we to rejoice in? What are we to be thankful for? Well, if you look at Philippians, there's a number of things that are there that would be important things to be thankful for, to be rejoicing in. Your partnership in the gospel, chapter 1, verse 5 and following. Your growth in the fruit of righteousness, chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. Your certainty of standing worthy of the gospel, chapter 1, verse 27. Your union with Christ, chapter 2, verse 10. And most particularly, you have a Savior who left the benefits of glory to be humble, to die on a cross. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5. To 11. So everything you face is for the purpose of extolling and lifting up the glory of God in Jesus. Good news or suffering, sadness or surplus, all lift up his name and for that you should be rejoicing. All these things are part of what partaking in citizenship of heaven is all about. Because you await eagerly a savior from heaven to return, Jesus Christ who will transform us to be like him one day. Chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. So here is the first point. Trusting prayer is based on the hope and the joy we have in Jesus. Trusting prayer is based upon the hope and the joy we have in Jesus. In verse 4, Paul even reminds the Philippians that they are to act in a particularly gentle way because the Lord is near. As one looks at all that Christ has done, how he has molded us and changed us, we have cause to rejoice even in tough times because he is near. Rejoice because Christ is near. I wonder what Paul was meaning here. Christ is near. Could have been two things. Could have been either. He was speaking about the fact that Christ was on his way to return very soon. And folks in Paul's day, folks in Thessalonica and in all the other places where Paul went, believed that Christ would soon return. Christ is near and coming back soon. This was the thing that motivated the church. Christ is coming again. Maranatha, even so come. If that is the case, I am thrilled to be living in the expectation of him. I want to be found faithful when he comes. For this reason, I will rejoice 
in what it means to serve him because he's coming soon. And I am so happy that he's coming. Or he could have meant the Lord is ever present as we live our daily lives. Yes, the Jesus of Nazareth had ascended to be at the Father in glory to pray for us. However, as the omnipresent one, he is with us by his spirit in a marvelous fashion in our hearts. Do you believe that this morning? That Jesus Christ in a marvelous fashion by the spirit of God is right here with you and with me if we trust and rely upon Jesus. The Lord is near, right here, right here. He's living in our hearts, directing us by the Spirit so that we can live knowing that Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. If Christ is right here, even more than a mentor or leader is with us, and some of our leaders and mentors have been coming to our house or talking to us on the phone or messaging us on Facebook a lot or Skyping with us or Snapchatting or whatever it is that is your favorite uh, social media. But Christ is right here. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because the Lord is near. Our hope and our joy is based on what we have in Jesus. That's why we pray as we do. That's why we're supposed to pray to the Lord because we are happy he is here with us. I want to live and express my heart to please him who is right here. So which could Paul mean? Probably some of both. One of the most joyous things that a child can say when they talk about their love for Jesus is the answer to the question, where is Jesus now? Now, of course, a few will say, well, he's in heaven. But the ones who love Jesus will say in a tone of, you should know this, silly. And they'll say, he's here within my heart. And when they say that, it just melts your heart. Where's Jesus? He's here within my heart. I am to rejoice because Jesus is near. That is a great reason for rejoicing and a great reason for trusting prayer. If Jesus cares for us enough to be returning and to be right nearby, imminent with us, and this thrills our hearts as believers, then we can feel confident to talk about our trials and our thoughts, good or bad, to him. Why would he take the time to make these commitments if our prayers were not of importance to him? Let's pretend that we are workers in a plant of whatever sort. And we see the boss on the floor of the plant. How would it make us feel to see the boss on the floor of the plant? If he's only there occasionally, surrounded by important-looking supervisors, one would really doubt that he really is interested in what the worker thinks. But if he's on the floor of the plant all the time, standing by the machinery and talking to the workers, checking out what is going on with the start and the end of the production line, finding out the concerns and the needs of the people who are working on the floor of his plant, it would begin to seem to be true that he cares 
and that he's prepared to deal with the issues the employees have. He's there. The visit of the boss could often be anticipated as a chance to speak of the progress of the company or talk about how things are going well or poorly. The boss can begin to be trusted. He seems to be answering because he's here. And that's how we start to feel about praying. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known of all men for the Lord is near. Trusting prayer is based on the joy and I'm going to go back to my notes for a second. Forgive me. The hope and joy that we have in Jesus. I want us to look down on the, the next part of chapter 4, verses 4 and following. We come to verse number, number 6 for our, for our second and third points. Paul writes, Do not be anxious for anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Trusting prayer is based upon our hope and our joy in Jesus. Trusting prayer is based on our leaving off anxiousness and worry. Our leaving off anxiousness and worry. You've got to be kidding leaving off anxiousness and worry. I have three kids and a mortgage living in the most expensive city in Canada. Do you know that in, in Vancouver it could cost you up to 108% of your salary to pay your mortgage? And I'm not supposed to worry or be anxious? My teenagers are going crazy and my car has broken down this afternoon. Not only that, but I was walking my dog in the park and the guy from the SPCA saw me. And he found I hadn't bought my dog license. So now I'm paying for my dog license and a fine because he caught me with no dog license on my inside dog that I always have on the leash. I don't have enough money for retirement. My mother-in-law is coming to visit in two weeks' time. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't be careful for anything. Are you kidding me? Are you out of your mind? Throughout Scripture, the call rings out for us not to have anxious thoughts about how we get on in life. And the best passage for this is found in Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. And the passage talks about uh, Jesus' prayer and how he teaches the disciples to pray. And then after that, he talks about anxiety. You've heard this before, but I'm going to read it to you again. If you want to turn to Matthew 6, 25 to 34, but I'll read it to you here. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It is not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. And I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, the people of the nations. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let me tell you something. Based on what Scripture says, based on this passage, based on the Philippians 4 passage, and other passages in Scripture, it's important to keep this in mind. The whole idea of anxiety or worry is based on the lack of trust one has in God to do what he is best at. It is based on the lack of trust in God to do what he is best at taking care of his children. His children whom he cares for far more than the birds, the lilies, or anything else. His children for whom he said Jesus to die. That's the problem with anxiety or worry. Uh, Chuck Swindoll had some very helpful comments about anxiety as he talked about this passage. To better understand what Jesus means about being anxious, let us first underscore what he does not mean. He is not referring to wise foresight. He is not referring to a necessary sense of responsibility or using care or thoughtfulness towards other people. These are necessary and good qualities that all Christians should exercise. The kind of worry that Jesus condemns is that which causes me to be mentally harassed preoccupied with distressing fears, tormented, burdened about. That does not have to happen. Things that may not have to happen or could happen. People who lie in bed at night and cannot go to sleep because their minds are churning. Like sadly mine was at points two nights ago thinking about preaching. And maybe others of you have had regarding other things to do with your life. There's a right and a wrong anxiety, a right and a wrong carefulness. On the wrong side are things like the anxiety and worry which come from too much involvement in the affairs of the world. Worrying about Trudeau or Kim Jong-il or Trump or anything. The elections for uh, school board that are happening in this city next week. Worrying about the future. Worry that expends energy on non-essentials like appearance or popularity or intelligence or any of those kind of things. Worrying about how to face the oppositions and trials that come to a Christian. Worry about how to please the wrong people or even how to please people, period. The right kind of anxiety, if you call it that, is this. Taking a thought for other people, especially those in the body of believers. Taking a thought for the church of Jesus Christ here and around the world. Being concerned about the testimony of God through his son Jesus Christ and how it will impact people. Those are things to have a concern about. One writer said what is forbidden is, disa is disabling worry. 
God never intended his people to become prisoners of worry. Such an unbelieving, energy-draining addiction strangles our faith and makes us unable to bear fruit. And I would expect that almost everybody in this room at one point or another has had the same kind of anxiety or worry about something. And this passage says, trusting prayer does not have anxiety or worry as part of it. Anxiety can be one of the most debilitating things that a Christian faces. I want to praise God for something, though. God is not like the psychologist in the Bob Newhart skit. When the lady comes into his office and she tells him all about her problems, and he looks at her and says, I've got an answer for you. Well, what is it? Stop it! But I got this and this. Well, here's the answer. Stop it! God is not like that. That's the end result, is to help us to stop worrying and stop being anxious. But he doesn't sit there and say, that's all you have to do. That would be as bad as Bobby McFerrin's song. Don't worry, be happy. How in the world do you do that? I don't know. No, the Bible does not teach that. Paul has a cure for our anxious worry and our care. Take a look at verse 6 again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Trusting prayer is taking everything to God in prayer. Trusting prayer is taking everything to God in prayer. Almost all of you drive a car, I think. Have you ever lost your keys and been stranded at a shop or at a friend's house? Actually, this probably would happen more, more often at home, I guess. But you have your car keys and your house keys, and somehow you lost them. You scurry everywhere looking for the lost keys. If you're a lady, you have scoured your purse, frantically checking to see if the jumble of keys are there below your wallet and amongst the other assorted things like lip balm or calculators or whatever it is you have in your purse. Men go to their pockets and to their jacket pockets and they rumble around listening for the telltale jingle. But what if there's no jingle? Do you get more and more frantic? What am I going to do? I can't get home. I don't have uh, a compass card. I don't even know how the buses run. And my car is here. I don't know where my keys are. By the way, has that ever happened to you? Maybe. What has some of you found that eases your anxious fear in these cases? I know that praying has helped. And God has lifted my anxiety and often, but not always, helped me find my keys. Prayer is the antidote for these kinds and far worse kinds of worry. In our society, worry has built to a fever pitch. We had a terrorist attack this week in Canada, outside an Edmonton Eskimos football game. We have a crazy man in North Korea developing nuclear bombs and rockets that could reach North America and pass by Vancouver on the way to somewhere in the United States. 
My downstairs neighbors were in Las Vegas and locked out of their hotel room not too far from the Mandalay Bay Hotel last Sunday because of the horrific shooting there. There's a lot to worry about. Do not be anxious for anything. But in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. At a very basic level, the alternative to anxiety and worship is in one word. Are you ready for it? Prayer. The passage uses two distinct words to describe prayer. The first is a general one about seeking God, and the second is a bringing of needs and desires before God. So here the idea is that the whole project of praying in whatever manner, worship or request or plea or confession, all of those things are in mind. Over the whole activity is to be this umbrella of thanksgiving. Every single time I come to the Father in prayer, I'm bathing my prayer in thanksgiving, whether consciously or in the back of my mind. I want to deal with worry and anxiety. I pray, and I pray about everything. Everything. In the New Testament, there are two who make thanksgiving a very important and central part of their prayer. In John chapter 11, verses 41 to 43, Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus. The tomb of Lazarus is open despite the warnings of the, of the women. Lord, he's going to smell pretty bad. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. And I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, Come out. As you read Paul, Jesus isn't the only one. Paul in his epistles, it's his regular habit to give thanks to God, usually for the saints he has written to, but thanks nevertheless in the opening of nine separate letters. Romans, 1 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy and Philemon. Thanks is an integral part of prayer seen here in these books. Because prayer with thanksgiving is the appreciation of God receiving the communication, the God of the universe taking what we are saying to him, and the expectation that the prayer will be answered by God in the best way possible for me, for us, for my friends, for all of you who are seated here. So when it says prayers and petitions with thanksgiving, take them to God, what it's saying is, share what you have, anything you have, with that friend who is also the creator and sustainer of the universe and the one who loves your soul. And be thankful because you know whatever answer he gives you is the one that is best for you. The one that is best for you. So trusting prayer is the one that takes everything in prayer to God. Everything. When I get up in the morning, yes. When I'm having supper, yes. When my business deal falls apart, yes. Everything. Everything. And that deals with anxiety and worry. 
can look at Jesus' prayer. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. He said, thank you, and you always hear me. He's the second person of the Godhead, and he's Messiah. But the same is true of every one of us who is part of the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ alone. The Father hears. The Father always hears. And whether you trust it or not, the Father always answers. Everything of any shape is not too small for God. Even your lost car keys. Even your lost lunch. Even breaking the heel off your shoe. Even that call from Canada Revenue Agency. Trusting prayer is I trust God with every part of my life. So I take it all to him and I have no cause, as the song says, to worry or to fear. Of course, that is unless you have just glued ping pong balls to your chest. Well, really, not even then. Not even then. So we have three points so far. Trusting prayer is based on the hope and joy we have in Jesus. Trusting prayer is based on leaving off anxiousness and worry. Trusting prayer is taking everything to God in prayer. Look now at verse 7, if you would. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It has a wonderful calming effect when you read that. It's a balm a salve for all of our words. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's something amazing and unexplainable that comes when you trust Jesus with your concerns as a believer. He gives an inexpressible peace. So our fourth point is trusting prayer is the way to peace. Trusting prayer is the way to peace. This idea comes from the fact that those who are in Christ who have been reconciled to God and are no longer at war with him, as 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and following talks about, being new creations in Jesus Christ, being reconciled to God. Those who Romans 1, 5 verse 1 says, have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We who are justified by faith through the work of Jesus have not only a peace with God, but a peace of God. God. John 14 27 points this out. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. This isn't peace that the world would say was important. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It's a different kind of peace that Jesus gives. It's not just tranquility. It soothes our souls. But to explain it more, then that is not possible to do, for it's a dimension of love and care that we humans cannot explain or really even grasp. There are times when the language and the thought concepts of the mind, even of regenerated men and women, are not equipped to grasp what is going on. We have all the resources we need. We have a calmness that God gives us supernaturally. We have a relationship with him that is reconciling us to him. But beyond that, it's difficult to explain. But I can tell you, I have had this peace. When I had sepsis, and some were fearing for my life, 
when the bleeding could not be stopped and units of blood and massive antibiotics were needed, the Lord gave me peace as I turned my issues to Him. To be honest, I think it is more common for the sufferer than for those who are suffering with them to have this peace. If you're looking on as somebody else is suffering, it seems more difficult for you to have peace than the one who is suffering themselves. My mom would be an example of this in 1994. When her days on earth were numbered from the cancer that she faced, all around, including my dad and myself and our friends, were struggling and often teary-eyed. But she had a calmness that blessed the others around her, even though she faced the end of her life. Her life in Christ was going to go on, of course. It need not be the end of life or a serious illness, either the businessman who faced the downtime, but turns to the Lord in trusting prayer may well speak as Job does in true open-handedness. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That you are here and maybe you are listening and saying in your head, Glenn, you don't know my struggles. And to say I am not to be anxious is as impossible as asking a fish to be dry and still live. It can't be done. I'll grit my teeth and I'll try, but it can't be done. And this peace you're talking about? No way. This is what D.A. Carson says. When was the last time you prayed explicitly and at length about the things that worry you and trouble you and plague you? Did you take them out and recount them to God one by one, laying your burdens out to Him? Time. Time alone and quiet before God. That is what we need. The psalmist had it right in Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, when he says, Whoever dwells in the shadow of the Most High will rest in the shadow of his wing. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. This recognition turns one's soul inside out. I have the resources in God to deal with the issues of my life. I have the God of the universe caring for me at every point of what I'm facing. And so Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, a thing that should really challenge our hearts. Casting all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. I know that some of you can barely comprehend what I'm talking about. About no anxiety and worry and a peace that passes all understanding. But that is precisely what the passage is calling you to this morning. How would you like to have a life truly free of worry? Not because the hard things don't come, but because God has them handled and he wants, yes, expects you to bring them all to him thankfully. Did you hear that? You want a life free of worry? Not because the hard things don't come, but because God has them handled and he wants, yes, expects you to bring them all to him thankfully. And when the child of God does, when the one who has peace with God brings his burdens to the triune God, the blessing of peace for the heart can come from him. 
And, and no flimsy peace either. No, no holding off of battle until somebody breaks it by shooting over the demilitarized zone. But one that guards and protects you, heart and mind, in the same fortress where your salvation lies, never to be lost, the fortress of Jesus Christ. So here we have my four points from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Trusting prayer is based on the hope and joy we have in Jesus. Trusting prayer is based on leaving off anxiety and worry. Trusting prayer is taking everything to God in prayer. Trusting prayer is the way to peace. That's how you pray. It's hard sometimes to go this way because you want to hold on to some of those things that we can worry about and twitter about, but it's saying don't do that here. There's something else I want to leave with you before we finish. And I found it in my devotions. I love reading Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he had this wonderful comment from uh, a verse that says, now on whom do you trust? It says this. Reader, this is an important question. Listen to the Christian's answer and see if it's yours. On whom do you trust? I trust, says the Christian, in a triune God. I trust the Father, believing that he has chosen me from before the foundation of the world. I trust him to provide for me in providence, to teach me, to guide me, to correct me if need be, and to bring me home to his own house where the many mansions are. I trust the Son, very God of very God. Is he the man, Jesus Christ? I trust in him to take away all my sin by his own sacrifice and to adorn me with his perfect righteousness. I trust him to be my intercessor, to present my prayers and desires before his Father's throne, and I trust him to be my advocate at that last great day, to plead my cause and to justify me. I trust him for what he is, for what he has done, and for what he has promised yet to do. And I trust the Holy Spirit. He has begun to save me from my inbred sins. I trust him to drive them out of me. I trust him to curb my temper, to subdue my will, to enlighten my understanding, to check my passions, to comfort my despondency, to help my weakness, to light up my darkness. I trust him to dwell in me as my life, to reign in me as my king, to sanctify me holy spirit, soul, and body, and then to take me up to dwell with the saints in light forever. Oh, blessed trust. To trust him whose power will never be exhausted, whose love will never wane, whose kindness will never change, whose faithfulness will never fail, whose wisdom will never be confused, and whose perfect goodness can never know a diminution or a, or a shrinking. Happy you are, reader, if this trust is yours. So trusting, thou shalt enjoy sweet peace now and glory hereafter, and the foundation of your trust shall never be removed. So as we finish talking about what Paul said about prayer, the question is this, is this the one that you trust? If not, hear the cry from God. 
and see him who would grant peace with him. Freedom from the worry of life as you trust him and peace of God that passes all understanding to guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And as I'm praying with those who are helping me serve, come forward. Lord, we want to trust you in prayer. And we know, Father, that despite the challenge that comes from Paul, we have to learn how to do this. We have to understand how we leave our anxieties and our doubts and our worries with you and you, how we bring everything to you. And so, Lord, this morning, as we think about trusting prayer, may we, Lord, start to see this peace that passes all understanding become the hallmark of our lives. And may those who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior flee from their sin and flee to Jesus today because they have to have this kind of faith and life too. Guide us, we pray. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your spirit who is amongst us this morning. And guide us in Jesus' name.